I invite you to turn in a Bible to 1 John chapter 2, where we'll be reading verses 12 through 14. These three short verses are interesting in that they do not have any imperatives, no commands, nothing that God is telling us to do. Rather, it is all affirmation. It is God speaking a word of affirmation to his people. And he does it through the Apostle John, who was an eyewitness of the Lord. And John is writing to the church. And by God's providence, these words have been preserved for us. And they are spoken to us as well. So we need this word of affirmation. We all need affirmation. The life of discipleship, the life of Christ in our lives, is much more like a marathon than a sprint. And some of you, a number of you I know, run marathons, but it'd probably be better to say this is more like an ultra marathon, not merely 26.2 miles over smooth surfaces, but 50 miles or 100 miles over rugged terrain in all kinds of weather. And we need affirmation to keep us persevering in the life of discipleship. A number of years ago, our Negley family gathered at the home of my cousin Sue in Seward, Nebraska. For those of you who don't know, it's in eastern Nebraska, not far from the capital of Lincoln. And Sue and her husband Vernon have a farm there. They, their farmhouse was one of these that you could mail order catalog from Sears and Roebuck, and now Sears and Roebuck is almost gone from the earth. Um, but they have the farmhouse, they have a massive barn that was moved to this property and it made some television show about uh, moving and trucking. And then they have these uh, draft horses, Belgian draft horses that hang out in that barn and they use them to demonstrate old time farming methods. But Sue was one of my cool cousins. She and her sister Shirley, they they were grown women practically when we were in elementary school and we looked up to them and we enjoyed going to their, fam to their house and visiting with them and they lived in the city of Lincoln at that time but they had horses and so we'd go out and look at her horses and she'd let us ride her horses and then back in this family reunion a number of years ago it was on, on their farm so the horses were right there, the draft horses and Sue got out her saddle horses and she got out her own very own horse and let the children ride around in the pasture there and and it was a typical Nebraska summer day, about 100 degrees actual temperature and 95% humidity or so. And this horse was giving ride after ride to the children throughout the family. And I know our oldest daughter, Anna, was riding it. And as the um, horse turned the corner towards the barn, it knew that it was almost home. It had that affirmation, you're almost home. And you could see the horse pick up its head and pick up its gait and it just, went on into the barn joyfully. And we all need that kind of encouragement that we're almost home. We've been singing in recent weeks a song called Home, Lord, I am running, and Jesus, you will bring me home. And we need that kind of affirmation. And so that's what God gives us in his word, and we're going to look at that from 1 John 2, 12 through 14. So I invite you now to hear God's word. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. 
I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Those are words of affirmation. They're inspired words. They're the very word of God. And that's what we need to keep us going. We all need affirmation. This life of discipleship in Christ requires perseverance. Paul talked about it when he met with the Ephesian elders. And it's recorded in Acts 20. He says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. But how can we finish our course unless we receive affirmation along the way? In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? prize, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So there's some affirmation that there. there's an eternal reward if you'll persevere. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul wrote that I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. And then in Hebrews 12, Verses 1 and 2, we read these words, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In those verses, we're given a, a word picture that there is a cloud of witnesses and that there's a race to be run. And, and I know some people, a number of people I've heard have taken that and they have said that the people who've gone before are in the sta stadium or in the stands looking down on us. And I don't think that's a really biblical image. I think what the writer to the Hebrews is saying is that there are people who have completed the race. They've run the race with faith, they've completed the race, and their lives bear witness, their lives testify to the truth that Jesus is such a great treasure that he is worth any pain and any suffering that we endure in this life. So keep running, that's affirmation, that Jesus is a treasure that is worth pursuing, and he is a treasure that makes it worth persevering in this race. So we all need affirmation. A number of years ago, there was a bike race in Delaware, the city of Delaware, and um, it was a criterium, which is a lap race, and it was sponsored by the local bike shop, and um, the first hired employee of the bike shop was entered in the race. He was a local boy from Delaware, went to Delaware Hayes High School, and came to work in the bike shop. and. He um, was full of energy, and he was starting out in this race, and at the starter's gun, he shot off the line, and he was off the front. And so as he comes around the first lap of downtown Delaware, he's leading all alone. There, you wouldn't know there were any other cyclists in the race. And then comes around a second time, and then you can see the pack is working together. They're trying to reel him in and catch up with him. And, and he was all by himself out in the lead, and then they were working together, and he didn't have the support he needed, and he was eventually swallowed up by the pack and finished in the middle and not at the front. 
we all need that kind of support and affirmation to persevere in this race. And that is what God gives us in this text. And he writes to a variety of people that are identified by three different uh, terms here. The first is little children. And we might think he's writing to those who are immature in the faith or those who are physically little children, but we know from other places in 1 John that he uses this phrase to speak about the church. In chapter 2, verse 1, we looked at a couple of weeks ago, he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So obviously he's addressing the whole church. And so when he writes here about little children, he's not writing simply to the children in the congregation, but to the whole group of believers. All of his hearers are addressed. So my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So that's true of all believers. That is a message for all believers. And he is using this term little children, I think, as a term of affection, also probably to show his own age as he's writing to these younger people. And so he writes to little children, and then he writes to fathers, and I believe that when he references fathers, he's speaking to those who are older chronologically, but not necessarily more mature, because he's giving them instruction in the Lord, so he is still more of a spiritual father to them, but he's giving them instruction because they're older and they need encouragement and affirmation as well. And then he addresses the young men. And particularly as he addresses young men, I believe, again, it's a, a reference, chronological reference to their age, their physical age, rather than saying that you're young in Christ. Some of them may have been, but they were younger in age. And he talks about overcoming the evil one. And certainly the Bible tells us to flee youthful lusts or passions. And so their particular temptations that are more prevalent for young men, young people, than older people. And so he addresses his audience appropriately. We can also make a note, without making too much of this, that about the importance of writing. We see in this text, I'm writing, I am writing, I am writing, and then I write, I write, I write. Well, there's a difference in tense at first. In verses 12 and 13, he's using the present tense, and so it's expressed, I am writing to you. This is an ongoing action. But then when it gets to um, verse, the latter half of verse 13 and 14, he says, I write to you. It's, a, it's more like an past tense, it's a completed act that has been done. And so he's writing to them and he puts this affirmation in writing. And when I went away to college, I received frequent letters from home. What a comfort and encouragement those were. Without exception, they were written by my mom. But one time, I received a letter from my dad. It wasn't long, but it had a profound impact on me. I don't honestly know if I still have it. I think I probably do, but I've saved too many papers over the years, and so I haven't found it recently. But as I recall, it began with humor, stating that I'd probably be in a state of shock to be receiving something in writing from him. The letter communicated love and affection and that my parents were pleased with me, and I remember down at the bottom of the piece of paper so vividly seeing my dad's distinctive handwriting, love, dad. 
Now, in an age of electronic communication with text messages and email and social media stories that disappear in 24 hours and Snapchats that disappear even faster, there's something special about written communication that you can touch and hold literally and figuratively. There's something precious about being able to hold something that a loved one held and something that they touched and something on which they left an impression with a pen or a pencil. It doesn't need to be carefully crafted poetry. The best thing that it can be is something that exalts Christ and encourages another. We looked at 1 Samuel 23, verses 14 through 18, about the experience of um, Jonathan and, and David. Jonathan, Saul's son, came to David, and the scripture says that he, he has strengthened his hand in God. So I believe what we can draw from that is we need one another. We need one another to help strengthen our hand in God. But what we primarily need, what we mostly need from one another, is we need more of God from one another. So today we're thinking about godly and grace-filled affirmation. And we want to develop in the church a culture of affirmation because God himself is a God of affirmation. Lee and I have started the practice of meeting on Mondays and we use that time to talk through the text. And so as we're preparing to preach and planning worship, it's an opportunity for us both to look at the text together and it's a way of having an extra set of eyes seeing things that one of us might not see on our own. And so there's that benefit of helping us see what's in the text. Hopefully that results in more effective and fruitful preaching. And then it hopefully will result in what God intends for us as a church. And I believe that what God intends for us as a church, one of those things is that we develop a culture of affirmation. And so, as Lee and I were meeting this past Monday, we were, we were talking about how we can anticipate what we celebrate. If we have, as a church, celebrate affirmation, we can anticipate that we'll see more and more of it. And so, in small groups, it's been the practice of those from North Point, when they meet in small groups or shepherd groups or life groups or whatever you want to call them, they take time to affirm one another. And I want to encourage all of us, whether you're from North Point or whether you're from Berlin or whether you're visiting for the first time, that we would use those opportunities when we're gathered together to affirm one another, to tell one another how we have been blessed, to tell the truth to one another, to tell one another the truth about who we are in Christ, what God has done for us in Christ, what he intends to do for us and so that we can fix our eyes on Jesus and run the race well. I talked about a letter that I received from my dad, but after thinking about that, it spurred me and my family a number of years ago, nine years ago about now, uh, just prior to my dad's death, it spurred us to write letters to him. And so all of our family members wrote, and my brother and I were able to deliver them in person and to read them personally to him before he went to be with the Lord. And that was a precious, precious time. And 
I believe that that's what God wants for us in our relationships with one another, that we would affirm one another and encourage one another that way. Now, this text is certainly not primarily a call to affirm one another. It's words of affirmation from God to us, to you and to me, to the church. And so the primary call in this text is to receive God's affirmation. Because like we said, God himself is a God of affirmation. In Zephaniah 3.17, we read this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God affirms us. He delights in his children. And so it's our privilege to act like God in the way we do, the way we relate to one another. We see God affirming, speaking the truth throughout the creation account in Genesis 1, when God created the earth and the seas, he said it was good. When he created vegetation, he said it was good. The sun and the moon, he said it was good. And every living creature with which the waters swarm and every winged bird, he said it was good. And when he created the beasts of the earth, he said it was good. And then when he created the first humans, male and female, God spoke and said it was very good. He saw that it was very good. We see this in the life and ministry of Jesus as well. When Jesus came to be baptized by John the Baptist, a voice spoke from heaven. The Father spoke over his Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And again, at the transfiguration, the Father spoke after Peter addressed Jesus, said, Lord, it's good that we're here. I'll, I'll build, if you want, three booths, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking... God spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased to listen to him. And so God is a God of affirmation. He speaks words of affirmation. There's the affirmation of the father to the son. This is my beloved son. And there's the affirmation of Jesus to his disciples. In Matthew 25, Jesus said to the servant who had taken the talents and returned with more talents. He said, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So God is a God of affirmation. That's the basis of our affirmation of one another. And so as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, We want to practice this. We want to receive his affirmation and we want to model it for one another. So we want to praise in public whenever possible and correct in private. There's certainly are times when correction is needed, but we can do that in private, but we want to praise in public. And there's a temptation when we come to this concept of affirmation that we might say, well, you know, I just don't do affirmation. I didn't receive affirmation growing up. It's not my personality. And so it doesn't apply to me. Well, my grandpa was a newspaper editor and my mom learned from him and I learned from her. And so I have a unique ability that I can spot the one mistake in a page full of correct writing. But that does not excuse me from affirmation. Because my God is a God of affirmation. I've received affirmation in Christ and from the body of Christ. And so 
God wants to mold me and all of us to be those who receive affirmation and who give affirmation as well. Now, there's uh, a risk in, especially from the pulpit, giving specific examples of affirmation. One of those risks is that some will feel overlooked. But as I do this today, please don't take offense saying, well, he didn't mention what I've, anything about me. Rather, I'm just priming the pump. I'm showing you what we are to do for one another, what the church is to be all about. And so I want to do that. But there's a risk of some might feel overlooked. There, as we said a couple of weeks ago, there's a ditch on either side of the road that we must avoid. The one is the pool of pride. The one other is the depth of despair. And so we need to avoid, when we hear public affirmation, thinking about, oh, everybody look at me. That would be plunging ourselves into the pool of pride or thinking, oh, I wasn't mentioned. There must be no hope for me. That would be dropping off into the depths of despair. God doesn't want us in either of those places. So when we give affirmation, especially publicly like this, it's not to puff up, but to build up. It's not to result in greater self-esteem, but a greater esteem towards God, a greater esteeming of who Jesus Christ is. And so... As I think about affirmation, I think of some people in the body here. And one of them is Dale Hoover. And Dale has been a model of affirmation. Some of you may not have met Dale yet, and Dale has been struggling with memory loss for some time. And Dale may or may not remember your name, but for Dale or for others, who are experiencing memory loss, when we come up to them, you know, it's not good to say, do you remember me or my name? Let's not make it about us. But say, Dale, you may not remember me, but what God says of you is true. You know him who is from the beginning. If there's nothing else that you remember, you know him who is from the beginning. He has revealed himself to you. And so fathers, older people, can be encouraged that they know him who is from the beginning. Even if you don't know me, even if you don't remember my name, that's not important. You know him who is from the beginning. You know the Father. There are people in the congregation who help me as a pastor and as a preacher, and they give specific uh, feedback that's helpful. And just a couple of weeks ago when I preached, I was talking with Nate Roy out in the fellowship hall, and he gave a couple of specific examples that were helpful, and that is so helpful as a pastor to hear from people like that. There are people who are blessed at encouraging and affirming through kind and thoughtful notes, and a couple that stick out in my mind because I've received repeated notes from both of them. One is Joy Manning. And one is Madeline Reed, and their, their notes are so kind and thoughtful and so encouraging. And that is a blessing. So I want to affirm what I'm seeing God do in and through your life. And again, this is not to puff anyone up with pride. It's to build you up in Christ and show you that God is at work in your life. He is working through your life to bless other people. Recently, I had the joy of meeting with Andy Lichtenberger, and um, we had 
met in a coffee shop and had a wonderful conversation and he was encouraging me personally and also encouraged me that one of his high school children found something that I preached helpful. And I think, wow, that is really powerful affirmation. <laughs> so some of you have sent text messages on a Saturday night to say, I'm praying for you, brother. Looking forward to worship tomorrow. Remember that God has promised his word will not return to him empty. It will accomplish all that he purposes. And that was so helpful to receive. I want to encourage and affirm all of you who do that kind of thing for Lee and for me. Because on Saturday nights, the devil, the father of lies, is whispering things like, you don't have anything of importance or significance to say to this people. Why don't you just pack it up or pack it in? Or do you think God could really use you after the attitudes that you've had towards others this past week? So we need that kind of affirmation and encouragement. And so thank you to all of you who are practicing this kind of affirmation. And like I said, I'm just priming the pump. I pray that God will use this to encourage us all to do that for one another. And not only pointing out those who have been doing this affirmation, but to affirm others for a variety of things. Like this text gives affirmation for a variety of reasons. And one recently, our family had dinner with Mark and Emily Shooter. And after dinner, we were sitting in their home and they invited us to be a part of their family worship time that night. And I, I know a number of you, maybe most, maybe, maybe many of you have times of family worship, but that is so encouraging. And so I want to affirm those of you who are doing that and encourage those who may not have tried it to, to begin because when you do that, you are, as you're reading the Bible together, whether it's a children's Bible or an adult Bible, as you're praying together, doing Bible memory together, you are showing and helping each member of your family realize that God is not someone or something that we put in a box and only take out for an hour or two on Sunday morning, but that our lives are to be oriented around God. They're to be God-centered. And so, Mark and Emily, you did that for us, and I want to encourage you and, and others in that practice of family worship. And, and um, then Shelly Harmon and Lisa Spangler, that they work together in the Delaware County Health Department, and um, they're believers, and there's maybe one or two other believers that they know of, but there are a lot that don't share that worldview and that faith, and they have been able to encourage one another and their coworkers and to pray for one another and others in their office, and that is an encouragement to me, and so I want to affirm that. And then just a couple others here that um, listening to your some of you pray your God-centered prayers just lifts me up into the presence of God and I'm grateful for that as we've gathered for worship team practice on Thursday nights and to hear Graham Geisler pray and when I've gathered with in meetings with John Steiner and to hear you pray and to draw our attention to God what a gift that is and so God wants to affirm all of us in the body of Christ and I think of Alyssa Harmon who works in a school in the city, and yet recently, after a long day of work, prepared and delivered personally a meal to uh, the Brewer family north of Centerburg in Mount Liberty, and that is a, a precious gift. And so 
there are so many things that we can affirm one another for, and I trust that God will use this as just a priming of the pump to encourage it to spill over more and more. But as we think about godly affirmation, there's a difference between godly affirmation and worldly affirmation. Godly affirmation is, first of all, true. It's based on the truth of God's word. It speaks the truth. It's not false or phony flattery that's aimed at its own advantage. You know, often we use flattery that way to speak, butter somebody up to try and gain some advantage from them, to use them in order to advance our own cause. But godly affirmation is true. It's not false or phony flattery, and it avoids superlatives like most and best. And so godly affirmation isn't the kind that you see on a t-shirt, best mom ever. You know, all you moms out there, you wear your best mom ever shirts and you go out to lunch after worship on Mother's Day and you're there looking around, what? Best mom ever? I thought I was the best mom ever. <laughs> Biblical affirmation points us away from self to God and what God has done for us in Christ, who God is, and our hope in Christ. Biblical affirmation is God-centered. We see that in this text that your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. It draws attention to God. Biblical affirmation is Christ-exalting. It points to Jesus Christ and what he's done and who he is. Biblical affirmation is Scripture-saturated. So the affirmation to young men is that you are strong, that the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. We can see that list of clauses. You're strong. The word of God abides in you. You've overcome the evil one. And 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 just think it's like a grocery list of things linked together with no apparent logic. But there is logic there. You are strong because the word of God abides in you. And therefore, you have overcome the evil one. That's how you overcome the evil one. And so biblical affirmation is scripture-saturated. It's based on scripture, and it's infused with scripture. Now, godly affirmation builds us up in Christ. It helps us see who we are in Christ, that we are a new creature, a new creation in him. It's aimed at producing God-confidence, confidence in God and esteem of God, treasuring and esteeming God most highly. Worldly affirmation, on the other hand, puffs up self. We're here to pump you up. You know, that kind of mindset. Worldly affirmation is aimed at producing self-confidence. Oh, you've just got to have confidence in self. Believe in yourself. That's what the world says. The Bible says, believe in God, trust in God. He has all power. He is all loving. He is all wise. He is all good. And so godly affirmation produces confidence in God and a greater esteem of God rather than self-esteem. You see, the gospel is about us. It addresses us personally in our point of deepest need, but it's not primarily about us. It's primarily about God. And so as we seek to model affirmation, we want to do that for one another. We want to point the attention of others, ultimately to God, so that they have greater confidence in him, so that they treasure him and esteem him more highly. And when we do that, everything else takes care of itself. When we see who God is, it becomes a lot more clear who we are to be. And so our 
affirmation that God gives us from Scripture is God-centered. It's Christ-exalting. It's Scripture-saturated. Godly affirmation recognizes that heaven will not be a hall of mirrors. That's a quote from John Piper. And sometimes we think that in heaven, all we're going to do is look around at how wonderful we are. No, that's not it. Our heaven, or the gospel, gives us a window that overlooks the massive glory of God. And so it's to help us see more greatly the great and wondrous glory of God. Affirmation that's based on grace is what God gives us and what he wants for us. So biblical affirmation is grace-reliant. It helps us to rely on grace. The truths possible and proclaimed in this text are only possible by God's grace. Namely, that your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. That you know him who is from the beginning. The only way we know who is him who is from the beginning is that God in his grace has revealed him to us. That he's opened the eyes of our hearts. He's removed the veil so that we can see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Works-based affirmation focuses on what we do. But... Grace-based affirmation focuses on what God has done for us. This past week, I had the opportunity to give a eulogy, and a eulogy is simply a good word. And often, in our context, it's a good word about someone who has died, but the best word that we can give to one another is about the one who's died and rose again. And so as we affirm one another, that's our goal, that we would kind, share that kind of affirmation with one another. We need each other, but what we need most from each other is more of God. So as we think about affirmation, we might say, okay, affirmation's a good thing, but it's not life or death. What's the big deal about affirmation? Well, it is life and death. Even the secular world recognizes the importance of affirmation. And Psychology Today published an article on babies who are not held and nuzzled and hugged enough will literally stop growing. And if the situation lasts long enough, even if they are receiving proper nutrition, they'll die. Researchers discovered this when trying to figure out why some orphanages had more infant mortality rates around 30 to 40%. We need affirmation. We need encouragement. We need a loving touch through the gospel. John Piper wrote that none of us can overcome temptation and escape error if we feel that our sins are unforgiven. So we need to know this truth. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. If Christ is unknown, the devil is victorious. Will a soldier have any strength and courage to fight if he feels the guilt of going AWOL last weekend while his company was slaughtered and if he thinks the commander has gone away to lead another more hopeful battalion and if 50 enemy soldiers are standing around the lip of his foxhole? All that soldier will feel like doing is blowing his brains out. Unless there is hope of winning, there is no motivation to fight. Even the soldiers who fight to the death when hope is gone are driven by the passion not to be defeated by dishonor. 
But when all hope is gone, strength goes, vigilance goes, motivation goes, and a great dark cloud settles down on the soul. But John's aim is that the soldiers of Christ overcome the darkness, that they keep the commandments, that they walk in the light, that they be full of joy and conquer hate and love each other with a love so real that the world will see it and give glory to God. His aim is that the Christian soldier lying in the mud of that foxhole will all of a sudden feel a surge of hope and courage to grab the machine gun of the word of God and mow down the demons in his life. End quote. We need affirmation, but the best affirmation that we can give one another is more of God, of who God is, what he's done for us in Christ, and who we are in him. There's a truth in life that if we want to give to others and be used by God, we must first receive. And this is true in the area of affirmation as well. Because if we don't first receive affirmation, the affirmation that God gives us in his word will have nothing to give others. And for me, what pictures this best is when you're traveling on an airplane and the flight attendant gives the pre-flight instructions and they say in the unlikely event of a sudden loss of cabin pressure, an oxygen mask will drop down from the panel above you. If you're traveling with children or others who need assistance, put your own mask on first and then you'll be able to help those who are around you. If we don't first receive affirmation from God in Christ, we have nothing of value to give to others. So the greatest encouragement that I want to leave you with today, receive God's affirmation. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. You know him who is from the beginning because God in his grace has revealed him to you. You are strong. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have modeled for us affirmation, that you are a God of affirmation, that you have spoken the truth over your creation and spoken the truth to us about who you are so that we might have confidence in you, that we might have a greater esteem for you. And so, Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would allow that affirmation, that truth, to grip our hearts, to produce fruit, fruit that would overflow in affirmation of others, that they might receive all that you have for them, that we might be used by you to strengthen one another's hand in God as we run this race and finish the course that you've set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So, Lord, we give you glory and thanks and praise in his name. Amen.